Thanks for listening to Reawaken, creating community and meaningful action to shift paradigms in mental health, trauma and addiction, a podcast by the Humane Clinic. Reawaken is hosted by Humane Clinic therapists Matt Bull, Rory Ritchie and Bernie Maywald, produced by producer Dan and our theme song is Hope by the talented Atomol. Everywhere people, in every place, all of the countries and each race, Need your hope, that's what this world is in need Hope is in the water that sprouts the seed Hope is the thing that stops you bleed Hope is the ivory in the weed So give hope Welcome back to Reawaken uh, Podcast. I'm Matt Ball. I'm here with um, lovely Rory Ritchie. Hello. And Bernie Maywald. Hello. Um, yeah, it's really exciting to be back. We've had lots of people asking when the second series of the podcast was going to come out. And uh, we haven't known until now. So I'm not sure what we're going to talk about as per the last uh, series when we didn't know what we we're going to talk about, but I think we're going to talk a lot. Yeah, see what comes up. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's a bit of a different lineup today, so we just want to acknowledge the last round of podcasts. Um, Stephanie was with us. Stephanie's gone off to set her own thing up now and doing really well, I hope. So we just wish her all the best. And uh, So that's why she's not with us now, but uh, the three of us are here and I think there's a special guest <laughs> from time to time. Yes, there is. No. <laughs> Who you would have heard at the start of the podcast. That's right. Yes. So it, it was quite nice to hear her voice yeah. and hear her coming in. I wonder if she'll arrive in the studio. Yeah. Which some people listening may recognise Lou's voice if they ring the clinic. Yeah. Mm. She's our lovely point of contact for people usually. So. And she sounds the same on the phone as she sounds on the podcast. Yeah. Which is quite <laughs> cool. <laughs> It's a bit like you were like producer Dan last time. You were kind of this mythological character. Now you has producer Dan grown into Rory, or you still produce Dan and Rory? Um, yeah, a bit of a two-headed beast. <laughs> nice. Or maybe maybe producer Dan's kind of separated from me, and we're now two individual entities. Nice, nice. Well, so producer Dan might join us as well. You know. <laughs> I think his music's. Cool. I think his music's still on there somewhere. <laughs> is producer Dan cooler than Rory, or do you think the other way around? Is Rory cooler. I think producer Dan has a bigger ego. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, producer Dan's really excited because he has a whole bunch of new podcast recording equipment. Uh, so we're no long, longer recording on Matt's mobile phone, which producer Dan's really excited about. Nice. Hopefully, people notice the difference. Yeah, I wish they could see the setup. Maybe yeah. you could explain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've got three big microphones and a computer. And what's this thing called, producer Dan? Uh, a recording interface. A recording interface. Um, so, yeah, we're all good to go. Anyway, so we're going to be back with a new series. We're not sure how long it will be, how many episodes. We don't know yet. We'll find out when this series is finished. But um, I think to start with, we thought we might just talk about what we've been up to. It's been two years since we released the podcast. So I don't know where we want to start, really. Quite a lot's happened at Humane Clinic. Yeah, a lot has happened. A lot has happened. <laughs> um, maybe I'll start and you two can just join in. So when we recorded the last podcast, we were based at a little office out in Morfitt Vale. For those that don't know, it's still southern Adelaide, just another suburb. Um, and then we have been on a bit of a journey where someone offered to provide us with a new building, new facility, so that we could open open the Just Clinic, just Listening community and Humane Clinic on a bigger scale and also have a training centre. So we're in this amazing 
space which has a training center uh, sort of i suppose the easiest way to describe is an emergency department alternative one end and one side and the other side is the humane clinic and beautiful gardens that were landscaped so it's a really nice vibe really nice place we get lots of people in various ways coming down to hang out and spend time and feel connected um and i think we just all feel a bit overwhelmed sometimes mm-hmm. at the good fortune that's arrived for us yeah, just today we had one of those moments where we stop and realise what a beautiful environment mm. we're in and how lucky we are to be here. Yeah. Still smell the floor when you come in each day, the new beautiful floorboards. Yeah, and I think we hear it a lot from people that use the space, right, is just how nice it is to come to nice rooms, to walk on nice floors, to be... Mm. Sounds so simple, but we know in mental health services that getting a decent coffee is not possible for most people. So being able to make fresh coffee that smells like coffee, tastes like coffee, has caffeine in it, and from a china mug. <laughs> now, if, you, if you've not heard this story before, um, there's too many stories of plastic mugs and decaffeinated coffee in psychiatric facilities, which is, well, let's get into it. It's all part of the the idea that psychiatric patients need something different from the rest of society. But... um Actually, it's a bit cruel to suddenly stop someone having caffeine, especially when we're in a state of distress. So for us, it's been really important to just let people enjoy a nice coffee, for goodness sake. And um, yeah, so we're really grateful to the family that provided this building. Uh, and what it's done is it's given us an opportunity to, I suppose, go back to a bit of, I think, back to a bit of what Reawaken was about, which was finding some meaningful action as we bring together the narratives in mental health, trauma and addiction. So we'll talk a bit about what we've done, but that's one of the things is get into this building and be able to open Just Listening Community. Which I guess really brings us to the Just Listening journey, doesn't it? I guess that's something we've been spending a lot of time on in the last, since the last podcast ended, really. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, um, I I was just thinking about it the other day, in the Reawaken Australia, what this podcast was named after was this five-day event at the monastery in Adelaide and PJ and Oryx came over and partnered with the Humane Clinic and from the film Healing Voices partnered with Humane Clinic and we had this event and that was when we launched Just Listening and the whole story was is that this Just Listening was about two people sitting together and one person listening to the other and offering justice to their story and this company in America wanted to charge us thousands of dollars to teach this at Reawaken so we just thought oh we'll just write our own model which we did and then it was launched at Reawaken. Mm. And so to think that two and a half, three years later, we now have a Just Listening community as an alternative to the emergency departments. And for me, and others may dispute this, but for me, it is the only genuine alternative outside of the systems to the mental health, to the mental health emergency department and crisis response. So it's a face-to-face beautiful space people can come for as long as they need to be in connection while we're open we don't have board games we don't have people sitting around it's about human connection and offering that justice in witnessing someone's story and that's what we've opened anyway i don't know if you guys want to say any more about it well i think the difference you know um that we don't call services on people that is the difference because everywhere else does don't they like that's kind of their risk assessment and their action towards that yeah yeah yeah, that's a good point. I, I sometimes forget that. Sorry. Yeah, I think that's the point, isn't it? Like, yeah. Of difference. Yeah, so it's non-coercive, it's non-pathologising, and really we would say is that staying in connection is the risk strategy. Mm. If you're in connection, mm. then people are not at risk. Mm. 
the moment we disconnect people and send them away or fill in forms or whatever it is, people have to make sense of that quite quickly. Yeah. It's not often not safe. And of course, if somebody wanted an ambulance, of course, you know, we help them find the service they want, but that's not our approach. Yeah, yeah. Or, or I would say we don't even help them find the service. We, if they know where they want to go, mm. of course, they can do that from here. Mm. But um, I, I do think, I know Rory, you're bringing up the the document. I don't know if you want to speak yeah. to some of that evaluation. Yeah. Well, first, I guess I wanted to talk about how we've rather than it being a service delivered by professionals with yeah. stories mm. of mental health labels or some kind of skillful wordplay around the neurological effects of trauma on the brain, we've, <laughs> <laughs> we've trained up members of the community to offer that, offer that deep listing and human connection if it's all about just offering compassion and human connection than any one of us with a few skills and the right ethos we believe is able to deliver that. So we've got some amazing yeah. volunteers who have become part of our growing community at Just Listening. Some of them may volunteer once a month. Some of them may volunteer twice a week. Yeah. Um, so I think after so we have a six month evaluation report that's available online if you jump on justlistening.com.au or the humane clinic website um so we at that at the point of six months we trained 80 people but it must be above that now because we've just had another round of mm. trainees come through so so that'd be around 95 yep. members of the community that have gone through our six week training program once a week over mm. six weeks practicing learning deeply reflecting learning things like dissociocotic theory, suicide narratives, mm. power threat meaning framework, ECPR. ECPR. Um, so we've, in the first six months of service, we've been, we opened for 311 hours in total and we had 215 visits by members of the community in that time. So that's 215 times someone was able to come and have a real human interaction and have somebody offer them listening and love and care for them yeah. rather than going to the emergency department or being alone in their distress. Yeah. And in that time, of all those 215 visits, like Bernie said, not a single person was escalated, in inverted mm. commas, to police or the hospital or mental health services. Mm. No person was found to be too much for any one of our volunteers to listen to and be with and hear yeah. their story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I love that. And I want to kind of own, you know, I've come and accessed it, I think three times mm. um, myself. And I think this was a big part of the ethos was that there is no, if we can have a model that is about community, then there is no us and them. Mm. There is no distressed person and wise helper. <laughs> there is just members of community that have share the same values. Mm which is that emotional distress is really tough and how can, can connection be useful in that space? And I think equally important is nobody's story has been too much or mm. distress or response to threat in their environment has been too much. Also, no story's been too little, so nobody's been invalidated yeah. and told that their story isn't important or that they're not acute enough and been sent home. So each person, has, regardless of their experience and their story, has received an equal service. Yeah. At just listening yeah and there's so much about just listening isn't there and i know probably we, we did an episode on it 
uh, a couple of years yeah. ago and I think we'll do an episode on just listening and really unpack what we found because actually supporting the community volunteers has been such an important part of the journey uh, and we've done that in distinct ways but I think we're going to come back to that uh, later episodes because I also want to talk about the other things we've been up to. Yeah, And if people want to listen out at the end of this episode there'll be a little bit of information about where it's located, when we're open. Yeah, It's an anonymous service. You're welcome to come as much as you want in the hours that we're open. Yeah. Oh, there's so much I want to say about it. Because <laughs> you can come every day we're open if yeah, you want. Yeah. You can come three times a week and no one's going to yeah. tell you that's too yeah. many times. You can come for five minutes or five hours. Yeah. yeah. Come for five hours twice a week and three hours once a week and that's fine. <laughs> and then come back the next week and do the yeah, same. Yeah, time. yeah. It's so good. You might disappear for six months and then be welcomed back in the same way. Yeah. Mm. Not told you disengaged from the service, so we can't help you anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we could go on for a yeah, minute. Yeah, we could go on. So what else have we been up to? I think Dissociocotic, we did an episode on that last time. The Dissociocotic sort of first paper has finally been published um, in a journal in the States. So that, that felt important because um, right or wrong, our mental health systems operate in an environment of so-called evidence-based practice. Um, what, what I guess, without being too flippant, I've discovered is that you can get your article published and therefore it becomes part of the evidence. It makes me wonder how much other stuff is published purely to become part of the evidence. Mm. And what does that actually mean about evidence, mental health, based mental health care? I'd suggest it makes it fairly spurious. Um, For people who don't know, do you want to give us a quick 30 second explanation of what dissociocotic is? Um, well, yeah, and I think it's changed. I mean, I think originally it was about explaining why someone said to be psychotic is actually skillfully putting between them and whoever they feel threatened by something which the other person stays away from. So if I'm hearing voices, I'm seeing visions, and I'm scared of you, Rory, then if I express this enough, unconsciously, unintentionally, but if I express it enough, you're going to stay away from me because I look a bit mad or whatever people want to call it. I think more and more we've observed this in practice, we've used it in in just listening model is it's now become a really clear explanation for but why people arrive in any situation they're arriving and it's it, it's a way of surviving and and being okay in the context of human to human threat and most important and i guess we'll get to this another time most important then is not asking the person in distress expressing this to change their behavior the dissociocotic model is about the therapist the supporter the family member whoever it is they need to manage their behavior not the behaviour of the person in distress. Perhaps in that example you just gave, I could notice that happening and slow myself down, notice what I'm doing that's making you feel threatened and maybe offer to engage in what you're putting between us and in doing so perhaps show you that it might be safe to be in relationship. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I don't know about you two both, but, you know, as therapists here, I, I I think we've employed this concept more and more in our therapy work. So we've had this richness over the last couple of years of noticing all the many ways people arrive Mm. are all legitimate. Yeah. There's always a meaningful explanation, narrative behind Mm -hmm. how that's happened. And I suppose excitingly for me then, we've now got a PhD student, Aidan Richards, started. um, And thanks to Bernard Curran as well, who's driven this, and Michelle, who's on board. Um, But Aidan's just started his PhD process where he's going to look at um, the contextual environment of what we call psychosis behaviours, which is what we're calling dissociocotic. And I wanted to speak on that. It is really important that it is 
published in a peer review paper because that means people out there, students listening, they can reference the paper in their work. Yeah. Uh, if people want to work in a different non-pathologizing way, taking into account how our environments and our feelings of safety and relationship affect what other people may call symptoms of mental illness, there's some evidence base there that you can, yeah. you know, get online, print out and show your manager, your superior, back up, give some yeah. justification for the way, for working in a different way, I guess. So that's quite important to me. Yeah, absolutely. To support people to do that. Yeah. Just be careful. Your manager might not understand the words in it. Mm. <laughs> you might have to manage that for them. <laughs> and, and, and perhaps flippantly again, as we've noticed, sometimes just a, a nod of the hat to some kind of evidence base yeah. seems to be enough in, yeah. in other realms to justify horrific misuses of power and other treatments that don't have a lot of evidence so. yeah and look if we're going to name this because i know we're going to get onto rents in this podcast if we're going to name that my, my current one is ect it seems to mm. you know ect seems to drift in and out of your life if you mm. work with people who are in distress and right now it's back in my life and i just you know talk about something we do with such confidence as a society uh or as a psychiatric profession ect and yet there really is no evidence to even know exactly what it's doing, let alone the benefits or not. And I know some people say, oh, it saved this person, it did this, it did that. Well, it harms a lot of people as well. And what we don't talk about is the equity of harm and benefit, because I think maybe the argument would fall on the side of harm. Mm. But uh, I know we're not getting into that now. No, but I'm no, I'm glad you brought it up. Because, <laughs> we? Yeah, yeah. Maybe we well, I was about to jump into it. So. Yeah, yeah. I feels like I've heard a lot. Recently, last three months, last six months, people talking about the ongoing effect ECTs had yes. in their life. So, mm. yeah, and that's never good, right? No, no. So things like memory loss, feeling different after you've gone through the treatment, and perhaps in the short term, you're less of a problem to the mental health system from the outside professional observer. So there's mm. a story, a narrative yeah. of of it working, of it being an effective treatment. But what we see is pain in people's lives, real damage being done to people in the yeah. name of psychiatry, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And and in the name of psychiatry and all the associated professions that support it. You know, nursing, my primary profession, has a big history of supporting ECT, particularly in the modern era, you know. And we, we need we need to be able to critique and question it and discuss it. Even if we find that it's okay one day, we still need to be here holding to account what we're doing, mm. in my view. Um, the other thing we've done is we've published uh, suicide narratives, and I think we did a bit about this in the last series, but this is now published, and we chose to publish this on our website because we wanted to make it free, we wanted to make it accessible. It's not intended to be a massive academic document, um, but it's been exciting, the journey, because we've now done, we're about to do our third suicide narratives online training. I think there's still time for people to get tickets for the one in April 4th and 5th. And I know there's other models and I suppose the thing I always want to stress with suicide narratives is that it's it, within the model, it's got an acute crisis response. If that's the language, we call it an immediate response. So we would say you need eCPR and just listening in those spaces. So you need deep human connection. We've adapted the hearing voices interview and called it the suicide meaning conversation. And that was work we've all worked on um, to get this really beautiful interview together so that people can develop a construct of 
oh, how did this story of not being able to be in this world anymore arrive in my life? Mm -hmm. It's not because I'm broken. It's not because I'm a problem. It's not because I'm manipulative or, or attention-seeking. It's because deeply painful, traumatic and adverse experiences have been in my life and probably still are. Mm. Um, and we can actually make a lot of sense of that and then the person's not alone with that anymore. Um, and then there's talking with suicide, which I think we've all enjoyed um, doing. And, and we've presented internationally. Yeah, yeah, well. we presented at the Hearing Voices Congress, yeah. didn't we, the three of us? And that's really, again, taken from talking with voices, but we've adapted that and added some bits to it and we can actually now talk to suicide in people and hear why it's there. So it's an, a method of finding out more. Yeah, that was a real collection of, of experiences all in one day that we've had recently. So the Just Listening community was open. Sometimes Just Listening's quiet, sometimes it's really busy and flat out and we were we decided we'd catch up a couple of hours before we were due to present and make sure we knew what we were presenting. <laughs> and then all of a sudden Just Listening got, got really busy so we had Joy who was kind of handling Just Listening for us and things got really, really busy so a couple of us couple of us were pulled out to sit and be with people in just listening almost up to the 11th hour of running back to Matt's room to get <laughs> to get on the Zoom screen to present to an international conference. It was re yeah. really quite a day and yeah. all went quite well. Yeah, yeah. No, it was that was pretty special. And it, I suppose that sums up, maybe we should go to a break, but yeah. what sums, that sums up for me is how, and I really want this to come across because um, the three of us have just formed what to me... Is just a beautiful alliance of leading this ship, this journey, this space of just listening of the Humane Clinic. And I guess I couldn't have dreamed really of having two colleagues, peers, friends who I feel so much trust in, so much safety in and confidence in, whether that's in just listening, whether that's in Humane Clinic psychotherapy or whether that's in training together. And um, yeah, I'm just... Super grateful to, to you both and to all three of us, really. Mm. So. Yeah. It's been and, we can now, and then we can now add new podcasts to that list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. What were you going to say, Betty? I was just going to say, yeah, it's been pretty special, I think, having this work environment and you two. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think we're going to hear from Lou now. Oh, nice. And then we'll be back after a break. G'day, Lou. Thanks, Lou. <laughs> Hey guys, Lou here. I just wanted to let you know, Humane Clinic offers training and workshops in humane approaches to mental health, including understanding psychosis and trauma, accepting and working with voices, suicide narratives, and emotional CPR. Please visit humaneclinic.com.au slash workshops for more information on upcoming trainings. Bye. Welcome back after the break. Hey, hey. <laughs> got a cup of tea or not? No, we didn't get one, did we? Oh, no, we didn't. So busy here. We just talked about what we're going to talk about, which is what we're going to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think we were going to have a chat about things that are on our mind, things that people might expect to hear more about in season two of the Reawaken podcast. Yeah, what strikes me is that 
aren't we supposed to kind of create a sense of mythology that we're really organised and we've got loads of information <laughs> that we're talking to and we've got notes everywhere and stuff? Because we're not really doing that, are we? It's two notes. <laughs> two sticky notes. Oh, sticky notes, right? Oh, yeah. Since I arrived in South Australia, I've seen more pieces of paper with sticky notes on than you could believe, right? And then one day I walked into my boss's office and there was just rolls of butcher's paper with sticky notes on. And it kind of feels like it was like the precursor to co-design because they would have said that's kind of like, <laughs> like some sort of leadership mapping exercise. And that kind of, now I hear, like I'm not saying co-design isn't a thing and hasn't been well thought through. However, my big fear, and you guys might disagree with me or might not, but my big fear is that co-design has become a kind of industry of itself. Mm. So I know we'll probably end up doing a whole episode on this, but I can't help myself thinking about sticky notes and co-design. Because sticky notes haunted me for like seven or eight years. And now I feel like co-design might be doing the same to me. And I know some people listening are going to love co-design. They're going to scream that it's the best thing ever. I just think sometimes projects don't happen because the co-design happens. And I think governments, bureaucracies have their own agenda. They know what they want to do, what they want to sell to the electorate next election. Yeah. And co-design quite often feels like lip service to something or the end result's already decided sometimes mm. and a co-design process happens to get to the end result mm. that was always there. Governments aren't going to fund things yeah. that governments don't want to fund, mm -hmm. as we know. Yeah, as we, as we know too well, don't we? Yeah, Just Listening is not funded by either the government or the opposition who are about to go up for government mm. next week in, uh, this week in South Australia, yeah. But yeah, and I think, you know, I think, is it co-designed to get a bunch of protesters on Parliament steps so you can announce a policy that you've obviously spent months writing? <laughs> Or is it coincidental that those two things came across together? I would say the agenda was already set by the uh, people that want to make a political announcement. And somehow this group of people have decided to march on Parliament. I'd say that's quite well designed. I'm not sure there's any co in it. I think there's a maybe coercion or, or, or cooperation uh, at some level. But I'm not sure there's co as in, oh, we've actually designed this together. Mm. I think there's someone in it. I think that's what your point, isn't it, Rory? Mm. Is that it if, is. There's, if there is already some form of agenda, then the design isn't co. Yeah. What I also love about sticky notes is it's just kind of putting things out to the universe because there's about a 30% attrition rate of the sticky notes that just end up end up on the floor. Is that evidence-based, <laughs> that 30% rate? Or, uh, is that, do you know that data? Or? I, I, uh, I consulted a few peer-reviewed articles on the adhesive qualities of various sticky notes on the market. And, no. Yeah, and I know I know there's like a seriousness to this podcast because it is actually people's lives. But I'm just looking at this sticky note here that's sticking on my computer, on my phone. And you know, the, the way the sticky works, the bottom of the sticky note curls up. I know, it's annoying. Like how long has sticky notes been around? I know. A bit like how long has psychiatry been around? And how is sticky notes not fit for purpose? Yeah. And how is psychiatry not fit for purpose? Yeah. But we all pretend that they work and we all pretend that they're really useful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. They work really well because they got sticky on them. Well, I use them, but I turn them sideways if I remember because I feel like it's easier to read when you write. So you... Oh, okay. So how does that work with the curling up bit? Well, it curls sideways and I can still read the beginning. Doesn't Is that like not 
taking your medication as prescribed. Is that kind of saying? <laughs> Maybe. Claim works quite well to not take your medication. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. No. But <laughs> I know. Yeah. Sorry, Rory. Um, another thing I'm really passionate about at the moment is having a bit of a deeper dive into the NDIS. I wish you wouldn't say deeper dive. Oh, really? Um, I, f- I remember the first time I heard it's, deep dive. it's good podcast language. We, well, I know it is, but that's kind of sort of the neoliberalism of everything, right? We've all, I mean, you can, sorry, I don't want to be offensive. You can use that language if you want. But I remember the first time anyone used deep dive to me, and it was Beck, Beck Wheatley, our dear friend, yeah. Dr. Beck. And she said deep dive in it, and I mocked her the first time, and I, now she doesn't say it to me, which <laughs> mean of me. I didn't really mean to mock her. Anyway, sorry. So no, no, gonna deep gonna, dive after, se- after season one or during season one, Beck was talking about how much she loved the podcast, and then she looked at me with a smile and said, me and my son listen to it in the car, but our favourite part's just listening to Hope at the end of the podcast. <laughs> the nice. full song. <laughs> nice. So when the, when the irreverent chat has yeah, finished, yeah, yeah. get a good song. When we're finished wittering on. Yeah, least, nice. At least you so what did you want to take a deep dive oh, right. into? Okay, looking at the NDIS, oh, yes. what it's all about, who it's actually serving, what people are getting out of it, yeah. um, what happens with what we is called support work, particularly for... Yeah. In, in very strong inverted commas, psychosocial disabilities mm. under the NDIS. Yeah. Um, and then, oh, how it, how it looks, how it's different to, you know, operating services through grant funding in the older model, how lots of things yeah. are being moved to a kind of neoliberal capitalist kind of approach to, I guess, specifically to mental health. Yeah. And, how, you know, I think this is what does warrant a deep dive. So I take all that back. Yeah, good. And to you, Beck, if you're listening. Sorry. But um, I think, you know, you're reminding me now why we need to take a deep dive. I always think with deep dive, I always think of those people, you know, do free diving with those really long flippers yeah, and it yeah. gets really dark. So I quite like that. So maybe I'm going to try and change my relationship with deep diving. But um, <laughs> I forgot what I said. Oh, yeah. With the NDIS, one of the things that I really think hopefully we can discuss over time in the NDIS is this. It's, it's for me, I know lots of people benefit from it. And there's no doubt we see people coming Absolutely. to our clinic who wouldn't get services Absolutely. that they choose otherwise. So I'm not wanting to detract from that. But it is almost now, it has, no, not almost, it has perpetuated the need to give diagnostic labels to people yeah. and particularly children. And they say that it's not diagnostic led, but it is. It's almost impossible to get a plan yeah. without a diagnosis. Yeah. And in children, this is just, it's, well, I just want to name it. Like, it's devastating to see three, four, five-year-olds getting a label so they can get a plan. How, how do we operate in that society? Yeah. And that's not to say that children, families, adults don't need support in our Absolutely. society, don't have things going on, don't live in difficult environments yeah. or difficult internal environments that really deserve support and love and compassion. Yes. But it creates these kind of... I want to say, enduring narratives of disability that people can't move out of in their lives. So it takes away this kind of concept of recovery or in a mental health context, responding to threat or responding to our environment. And that's something we can move through and learn from and hear the message in and find some meaning from and move on with our lives to another chapter of our lives that kind of camps people out in these stories of disability. I I value you saying, because as you were speaking, I was thinking about like a lot of the work we hear about contextualizing people's lives and the distress. We're, we're creating the context for the rest of their life. Mm. And surely that's, 
I mean, if that's valuable, then great. But for many people, it's not. And, you know, we, I'm sure you guys hear it as well. I hear people saying, please don't challenge my diagnostic label. Yeah. I used to want you to, but now I'm on NDIS. I don't want you to. Mm. So where's the choice and freedom in that? Like, can I just label my distress as distress and still get the supports, please? Yeah. Or do I have, yeah, yeah, wouldn't it? Or do I have to have it labelled as something else? Because it needs to be lifelong, permanent, all treatments tried and tested and yeah. not worked for you to apparently get on it. Yeah. Yes. And I think maybe we'll do a whole episode on the word treatment, should we? Mm. You know, I think Lang had it somewhere right when he said treatment is how we treat one another. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I think we definitely want to talk more about suicide and different ways of understanding, thinking about, yep. talking about, hearing about suicide. Yeah. yeah. I want to do more voices stuff. Yeah. I sure. want to talk yeah. about the Mental Health Act. I know it's different in different states. There's a review coming up, I think, in WA. I think there's probably one in New South Wales. I can't remember. But, um, you know, I want to talk about how in the last, since the last podcast we've supported four people to go through their Mental Health Act tribunals and all four of them were found that the application for their Mental Health Act um, treatment order didn't meet the threshold. And what happens if you're detained, does that mean the legal process has been served? No, it doesn't. So when you go to tribunal and you don't know the process, does that mean your legal process is served? No, it doesn't. Where, what, other, what other area of le legal services would it be acceptable for someone to have no representation and to just have the say-so of one person mm. and you lose your human rights? And I think there's about 10 podcasts in that. Yeah. <laughs> um, or 20. <laughs> Get a bit passionate. Um, and also I think I know that I want to, we want to talk about polypharmacy and high dose prescribing. Some of the prescribing we see day in, day out in South Australia is beyond reality for me. I also think the number of young people being put on dexamphetamine, you know, so Ritalin or Concerta or other ADHD based drugs is pretty shocking. You know, I remember I was always told that it was reducing at the moment. There was less people willing to prescribe these drugs. That is not the case at the moment. Um, so I think that should also include a conversation about psychiatric drug withdrawal. Yep. Lessons we've learned from that. Yeah. And we've, I think we've been really privileged in that, haven't we? I mean, we would get yeah. one person a week, if not more, wanting to know more about psychiatric drug withdrawal. And I suppose for me, there's the international withdrawal community moving, moving and moving. Um, but I wonder what that's like on the ground for people in their everyday lives. Is there really support? Or are you having to kind of find support to get support, to go to your supporter, to get permission to reduce your drugs? Well, that's a coercive practice, and I think we can name that. I've had two psychiatrists in the last year, and I'm not just having to go to psychiatrists. Nurses say it as well, but two psychiatrists refusing to work with people who I'm seeing for therapy uh, if they're going to continue to see me. Wow. And that's bizarre. Mm. Um, so, What are they yeah. worried about? I don't know. What do you think they're worried about, Ben? <laughs> so, <I don't> <laughs> so producer Dan's giving us a sign. What's the sign, producer Dan? The sign is we need to wrap up okay. this episode. Yeah. We're in a little room, aren't we? Finish that day. We are. We're in a little room in the Just Listening community space. Yeah. The new podcasting room for now. I was thinking it's almost small enough to wrap up. Like literally, <laughs> put a little yeah. bow on it. Don't have to. It's a bit warm in here. It's a bit warm. It is a bit warm. All right. Well, look, we're just so grateful for anyone that's listening. Um, lots and lots of people have said 
that they, when are we doing a new series? And, um, and, and, and here is the start of the new series. I, I guess it's going to be chat and we're going to talk about all these things. I, some of the ideas, and this, there's a big risk in what I'm about to say, and I haven't run it past you two, but I think you can guess. Um, you know, there is a bit of me wondering if people email in what they want have discussed on here and we can have discussions about it. Oh, I think um, that's a good idea. Yeah, okay. that's great. A bit of a mailbag. A bit of a mailbag, yeah. <laughs> Let's not promise to read all the mail. Around, no. Right? That's, that's another good podcast word. We'll do a deep dive and then a mailbag. <laughs> nice, nice. But we're not giving away presents, right? I'm not doing presents on air. No. Um, and, and, you know, at some point we might have some guests. Um, I've got two ideas of guests. One is people we've all heard of. Maybe they're all on all the other podcasts. The other is I wonder what it would be like to have everyday people from the street yeah. from time to time come in yeah. and be on the podcast and yeah. have, a, have a yarn with us. Yeah. I wonder with us. if we do a Just Listening episode, whether we bring in a Just Listening volunteer to talk about their experience of volunteering. Yeah, yeah nice. Oh, and it looks like we might get the chance to go and open a Just Listening community somewhere else, yeah. which we can't tell you about. It's like a secret teaser <laughs> for you. But um, we're pretty hopeful. And then we'll do a podcast from there as well. So info at humaneclinic.com.au if you want to send us an email. Yeah. No promises, but we'd like to hear from you. Yeah. And we might open the mailbag. Can we actually get like a mailbag? Yeah. <laughs> Lou, I don't know if you're listening, could you print off the emails that you get and then put them in a bag and we can actually pull them out of sound effects? <laughs> Not a shopping bag, a mailbag. A mailbag, yeah. What colour are the mailbags in Australia? Because they're red in England. Well, they were. I think it's not that one. Red. Brown. Or yellow. Mm. Not sure. Sean will know. Sean will know. Yeah. Right, well, I'll Sean. Okay. All right, look, thank you so much. (laughs) I hope you've enjoyed the podcast and I really hope you enjoyed the song by Atto Mull. Yeah. And Um, a little bit of information from Lou about Just Listen Community, I think, is coming up. So listen out for that if you're interested in what you've heard so far and you're in Adelaide. I guess that's important to remind people. We're in in Adelaide. So Just Listening is a face to face service. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And we will hear you on the next podcast. Yes. Go well. Thank you both. Thank you. Bye. Hey guys, it's Lou here. I just wanted to let you know about the Just Listening community. Have you ever reached out to mental health services or a hospital emergency department when in distress and received a response that was not right for you? Humane Clinic understands this is a common experience for many people. We have opened the Just Listening community to offer an alternative response for community members experiencing mental and emotional distress. The Just Listening community seeks to offer justice to your experience of living through compassionate human connection in a safe, non-coercive and non-pathologising environment. The Just Listening community is located at 29 Shepherd Road, Christie's Beach in Adelaide, South Australia. Our opening hours are 2.30pm to 7.30pm on Thursdays and Fridays and 4.30pm to 7.30pm on Saturdays. To find out more, please visit justlistening.com.au Everywhere people, in every place all of the countries and each race need your hope that's what this world is in need hope is in the water that sprouts the seed hope is the thing that stops you bleed hope is the ivory in the weed so give hope and live hope and when your kids are hungry feed them hope if the system bleeds you dry have hope if the situation makes you cry have hope because now it's time to dry your eyes and hope that that'll keep your dreams alive i hope that you hope because everyone's future is resting on your hope can take the worst thing and turn it around hope can
find the lost that was not to be found Who can make the losers them stacking in ground and Who can turn your pennies right back into pounds This hope can be rebuilt even when it's been killed And if you believe, your hope will be fulfilled But people lied, just to raise your hope Just to make you think that they're helping you cope They're selling you eggs without no yolk They're wearing you down until your will is broke This ain't real hope, they don't feel hope They real hope and deal hope and turn it into false hope Then we give up on this world like it's a sinking boat We let each other drown instead of flinging the rope We're turning the place into some kind of joke But we can't laugh, we can't lose hope In these times while they commit these crimes Because there's nothing else out here Keeping us afloat Hope is elusive, a glint in the eye That something is exclusive, that thing they can buy Won't make excuses, they just sit and ask why Our mistakes are conclusive, hope will just die But I wouldn't lie, singing all on the by Give hope a try, and hope gets high You'll be bereaved, but you'll also receive Have hope, can be deceived, you've just got to believe And hope, don't let it leave, or ever receive Just hope, and then one day, you're going to succeed You can't live without hope, don't go without hope Don't doubt hope, will keep you warm when you're shivering with cold Young when you're tired and old Hope can make a frightened man hearty and bold And hope can find the truth that has never been told Cause some people take hope and some people fake hope But you are the people, you people here You're the ones that I feel are sincere You're raising my hope, will hold your hand when you feel insecure Hope will find a way through any locked door Hope will give you guidance when you're feeling unsure Make a point to the wise even when there's a floor so much more and so much more and so much more hope will do it all and so much more